I wouldn't say there's a there's an exact time limit. It all depends on on your work ethic and how much you accomplish, right? If you're making, if you've made a million in your first six months wholesaling, then you're at a different bracket to someone that's only done a hundred thousand in the first year, right? So, making a million in your first six months puts you on a different scale, and then you can actually hire people. And- Welcome to the Deals Estate Wholesaling Podcast, where we discuss finding, financing, and facilitating off-market real estate deals. I'm your host, Deidre Duntong, and I'm joined today on the show by Franklin Uzuko to discuss and share his knowledge on how wholesaling can help you transition into larger multifamily buildings. Franklin is a multifamily investor and wholesaler and has been investing in real estate since 2020. He has since done multiple multifamily bird deals and wholesale deals. He lives in London, Ontario, and mainly focuses on the southwestern Ontario market. In today's episode, Franklin and I discuss how he got started in wholesaling. We discuss the skills that he acquired along the way that were valuable in his transition into multifamily. And finally, we discuss one of his recent multifamily deals and how he leveraged his wholesaling skills and experience. So if you are listening to this, you do not want to miss it. Be sure to listen to the very end. Now, before we dive in, we want to say a big thank you once again for tuning in. If you are a fan of this podcast, please hit the like, subscribe, and notification buttons. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hi, Franklin. Welcome to the Deals Estate Wholesaling Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for coming on. This episode has been a long time coming, and I'm excited to share a lot of you know what you and I have been through over the past couple of years. So it's yes, definitely sir. exciting to have you here. Yes, sir. Let's do it. Cool, man. So, um, so that we can jump right in, um, I know a lot of people would be interested in understanding who we have on the episode today. So do you maybe want to tell us about yourself, you know, who is Franklin and you just, you know, walk us through, you know, how you've got into where you are today. Awesome. Yes. My name is Franklin uh, Zuku, like you said, um, I'm originally from London, Ontario here. Uh, been investing about two years now in uh, real estate. And uh, prior to that, I had a sales background selling, um, business uh, American Express cards and yeah that's pretty much what what made me look into real estate while selling those credit cards I most of the clients I um got the business credit cards for they were all in real estate and I could also see their incomes while when I when I um signed them up for the programs I always seen their income everyone in real estate always had a higher income so it kind of gave me that urge to look into real estate later on down the line. And then came COVID. Uh, I lost my job. I'm sure a lot of people also lost their jobs as well. So it got me looking for something else to get into. And that's when I stumbled upon uh, Matt McKeever on YouTube. And okay. finding out about him opened up everything for real estate for me because I, I realized, oh, he's doing this in London, Ontario, where I lived in. So it made it made the vision a lot more possible and made me realize I could easily do this as well. If he's doing this, 
I could definitely do it wholesaling and um, buying properties with no money. So it just got me learning. I joined Cashflow Tribe. Um, I was eager to learn. And I also actually tried to join Matt McKeever's wholesaling team at the time, but I, I didn't get in, unfortunately. Um, but I ended up finding someone else who assisted me with the lending process. That was Alison Pazook. Uh, yeah. She was running uh, Blue Ocean Properties at the time. And she, yeah, she brought me on, hired me, and I was supposed to work for for free pretty much until I found a deal. And I signed up for it because I knew I was going to learn uh, this this incredible skill of wholesaling, which which has helped me open every other door in my life now. So, yeah, I, I doubled down and I worked at Allison for over almost uh, six months to a year. And, yeah, we solely wholesaled. And uh, I helped her with this position until she decided to close down the company. And that's when I went on my own and I started wholesaling alone. Yeah. Wow, but that's, that's very powerful because one thing I've noticed is quite a number of people that have come into wholesaling, they usually have a sales background. And uh, right. it's interesting that you, you also had a sales background, you know, working for American Express. You know, how do you think that background in sales helped with your transition? If coming from a sales background already made me realize that um, wholesaling is a numbers game. I just had to try and get more leads and try those leads. It was just always a numbers game. Even in a, uh, selling a business credit cards, it was always a numbers game. The more people I spoke to, the more chances I had of closing a certain amount of deals a day. So I just transitioned that into wholesaling and I just tried to get as much people on the phone, if it was realtors, investors, whoever had a property and they might be selling yeah. at the time. But back in 2021, this was the time where any deal sold. So all you had to do was <laughs> pretty much get, get any property on the contract, right? There was contract. No, yeah, it was uh, honestly just getting a property on the contract was a win. That that was it, and it would get sold because everyone was buying anything at that time. Yeah, so I just knew it was a numbers game. I just had to talk to a lot of people, so I just did my best to talk to realtors, get the um the pocket listings, or I'll speak to homeowners, uh, contractors, anyone that came in contact with a homeowner was the person I was looking to talk to. So I just did that every day, each day made sure I made a minimum amount of calls, sent out a minimum amount of offers. And yeah, I got my first deal off doing that. Yeah. Cool, man. I have a question. So you know how to say, you know, like the grass always looks greener on the other side. So right. when you look back at when you were at Amex and you had seen people's incomes with real estate, you had a perception at the time. Now that you are in it, you've been doing it for a while. Um, does that perception match up to the reality, or do you think, oh wow, like this reality is very different from you know what I thought it was? Um, it, it does match up to the reality for sure in terms of income, but though the other part I didn't consider was the amount of work it would require as well, right? Get, getting this yeah. amount of income requires a certain amount of work, so that's the only part I didn't expect, and but. It's it's it makes it it makes it more interesting for me that the harder I work, the more I could earn. So I don't have a cap yeah. a cap potential like when I worked at Amex. Those no matter how hard I worked there, my income was never going to go up. I may, I might get a few more commissions, but 
that's that's about it. But with real estate, if I put in more work this year, I know I could do times two of what I did last year. So it, it just it. opens yeah. that potential a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I also agree with that line of thinking. When I joined as well, very similar to you, and I joined Cash Flow Tribe, it, it was when the market was booming and every day was, you know, was selling. So my perceptions were largely shaped by, you know, the boom markets. And I yeah. hadn't really experienced um, the market that we are seeing in the past year and a half. So it's definitely been an interesting experience to measure my own perception initially versus reality. But to your point, the upside of real estate long term far outweighs, you know, what you would get, um, you know, with any opportunity that has a capped upside. Correct. 29 to 5, yeah. Cool. And so I wanted to find out, so when you started wholesaling, were there any challenges that you faced? You know, you mentioned that, you know, you joined um, Alison's team and um, you were there for like six months to a year. Were there any challenges you you faced while wholesaling that you think would be helpful for other people that are coming into, you know, just you know, take into account? Right. So the biggest challenge was I, I never made any money for the first six months, right? That that was like number one. It didn't I didn't get any deals while working with Allison. There was just it never worked out, right? That's that's the reality people don't don't consider when getting to wholesale and that it actually takes time because there's a lot of things that come into factor, like are uh, your confidence, how you portray yourself, how you how you speak to sellers, realtors, all that matters in if you get the contract or not, right? If someone with more experience comes on the phone with them, they they could easily tell this guy is going to be the right person to work with. He'll actually get my property sold. Then this other person who's um who's not confident on the phone, who's um uh basically doesn't know the full process even or or might not even have enough capital for the deposit the sellers require. Because some sellers, what makes the deal uh, a uh, bad deal or no deal is your deposit amount. Some some like seeing bigger deposit amount. And if you're just starting out, you might not even have a thousand dollars to put on uh, the property on the contract, right? And and that that changes it rather than other experienced wholesalers who easily put ten thousand and get the property at a lower because they come off as a more serious um uh buyer. So yeah. that's that was the biggest um uh bottleneck for me at the time when I started was I just didn't have that confidence. I, I wasn't sure I knew what I was doing. And yeah, but over time as soon as I kept on sending more offers, getting rejected, I built the confidence, right? Because I knew exactly what why I was getting rejected. And the next one that yeah. came around, I'll switch it up and try to obviously act like sound a lot more professional than the previous person. So it just kept getting better and better with the more tries I had. So, yeah, it's just pretty much trying, trying until you figure it out. That's how it came to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, you hit the nail on the head with, with the first point you mentioned with respect to how long it took. And you're another first person who has echoed that, right? Um, the staying power, being able to uh, consistently do it irrespective of the results, you know, I think that is something that's powerful and even something that I'm learning, you know, to do where like my actions are the same irrespective of what the results are, right? If I know that this is a goal that I want to hit, irrespective right. of what the short, the short-term results are, you just keep going at it until you win, 
and then it becomes easier you know, along the way. Exactly. So I just wanted to echo that point as well. Right. Okay. So since you've, you've been doing wholesaling, um, what would you say your primary strategy is now? Like, do you still wholesale actively? Do you spend most of your time doing wholesaling or are you transitioning to a different real estate strategy? So at the beginning of, uh, at the end of last year, I wasn't wholesaling at all. I was solely focusing on like the, the properties we acquired and I was trying to stabilize it and, um, and provide the returns to my investors. That was my sole fo- focus. Like pretty much the whole of last year or half of last year, I was focusing on uh, properties. I, and I slowed down on our, uh, wholesaling properties, which kind of, which yeah. actually hurt my my business and hurt my income because uh, the, with the multifamilies that you're not getting paid today, especially if you're raising capital, you're not. There's no profit for you until your investors get all their money back, right? So, and this it takes a few years, and while you're within that few years, you still need active income to sustain you um, until those deals uh, bring out their potential. So that's what I didn't know when uh getting into the multifamily space and i just jumped into it um if if i if i could go back i would solely focus on my wholesaling for a longer period until i was fully set up to take on multifamily deals even alone with our partners then uh you you are the more um at a more set stable stable uh place to actually yeah. Make sure everything goes well, because you can't be thinking about two things like in the middle of uh, getting kicking out tenants, stabilizing a whole 30, 39 unit building. You're still trying to close a wholesale deal and, and look for other sellers. Right. You can't actually mix the two. That's what I realized. So as soon as uh, most of those uh, buildings I took on last year got like partially stabilized or almost uh, all finished, I decided to jump back fully into wholesaling this year. And it's, I realized it has to be my main focus. I can't do both for now until I actually have a bigger yeah. team. It's, it's way built out that I barely work an hour, an hour a week in the business. That's when I'll look into um, getting back into um, raising capital, buying more multifamily deals and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. And, there was another conversation that I had with um, like another experienced wholesaler who who echoed the same thing, but it was different in the sense that he had built a team, and you know how he structured his team um, was he started paying them fixed salaries, but you right. know he mentioned that he would have rather waited till the business was you know bigger and had like larger revenues to be able to cover those salaries versus at the growth stage. So it also looks like you are echoing the same thing where you you feel like you transitioned earlier than you should have. And right. um, it's also a thought process that has run through my own mind as well this year, which is just trying to figure out like how long do you stay with one strategy to a point where when you are transitioned to when you're transitioning to a second strategy, it's complementary versus it's more like you are replacing your first. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, I just yeah. wanted to share your experience on like, um, how long for any new wholesalers who are coming in or just any real estate investors today, Like, how long would you recommend they stay in one strategy 
where the next strategy becomes complementary to the first. I wouldn't say there's a there's an exact time limit. It all depends on on your work ethic and how much you accomplish, right? If you're making if you've made a million in your first six months wholesaling, then you're at a different bracket to someone that's only done a hundred thousand in the first year, right? So making a mill in your first six months puts you on a different scale and then you can actually hire people and you pay them six sixty grand a year. You could have have five employees. You you could easily get stable with a million dollars compared to a hundred thousand. So it all depends on where you are on that growth scale and how how successful you are wholesaling at the beginning, right? Then that 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 answers the question of how soon you could leave wholesaling and try something else. It all depends on your capital. Because if you're working with limited capital, you can't compete with uh, multifamily investors, the older ones who already have multiple properties and they already have um, equity to pull from multi multiple properties to buy these uh, multifamily deals, right? So you actually need to build all that. You need to build your own portfolio, your small portfolio first. So because buying multifamily properties requires a, a high net worth because the banks, even though they don't, they say they don't qualify you by your income, but they do look at your net, net worth. They look at your 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 experience with uh, uh, multifamily buildings, like how many have you done in the past? They, they always check all those things out. So if you don't have that, then... Getting into multifamily might not be the right choice, but there's also another way to do that. I wouldn't totally say you should scratch it off and not get into it. You could also partner up, right? Partnering up with uh, with someone who's fully focused in multifamily and they can take up the, the active part of that multifamily, that multifamily deal. So you're not, you're not tying your time down, right? They take yeah, on the yeah. multifamily um, aspect and they already have the experience. They have the net worth. They, they've done this multiple times. They could show to the bank that, okay, we've done this before. We could qualify and and all the good stuff, right? Once they could prove that and you're just a partner, then it's a lot easier. You could always go back and focus on your business while that person is doing the active side and you just have a percentage. You could keep doing that until you're ready, your, your wholesaling business is ready to run without you. Once you can step away from your wholesaling business and it doesn't require you, then that's the point I would say, yeah, you can make that transition and fully now focus on, on your uh, multifamily business because then you still have your wholesaling business bringing in you income. So in case multifamily slows down or, or a certain deal doesn't work because multifamily deals always take two to three years, right? And at the end, they could come out bad, right? Because there's some people that bought high in 2021 now and the refis are coming up um, right now or or maybe uh, they're getting out of the private mortgage and they're trying to go into um, uh, conventional mortgage, but interest rates have gone up. The numbers are a lot different from when they bought it and when they analyzed the building. So now, it's the returns are different. They're either breaking even or they're slightly leaving capital in the deal. And what that means for yeah, someone yeah. who's uh, raising capital, it means you're not gonna you're not going to make any money if the investors don't get all the capital. So at the end of three years, after doing all the work, taking out tenants, closing the deal, finding the deal, um, raising the value, doing the refi, you get no money and you still have to manage the building. So your your income from wholesaling has to be good enough and has to still keep going to to make sure you could 
uh, sustain yourself until that building or until another deal comes by. Yeah. Wow, man. Thanks a lot for that. And I think this is a key conversation to have because active income and passive income are completely different things. As you said, right? Like every single day, um, depending on, on what you do every day. So if you're a full-time investor, right. something needs to be paying you every single day to right. cover your bills. But if you work a nine to five, then maybe your nine to five job covers your bills. And that's actually a very interesting concept because multifamily is like three to five years, like the full turnaround from when you acquire to when you do the refi. And right. all through those three to five years, um, like I, I haven't gone through that process before, but as, as you've rightly pointed out, every single day through those three to five years, you need to get paid, right? And if you don't right. have an active income, you know, then it gets very tough. Your um, what I hear is your your focus will be divided, right? Um, Correct. Right now, focusing on stabilizing the building, you're thinking of where you're going to get your next paycheck from. Exactly, because you know the building is not bringing any paycheck and. Yeah, it, it just puts you in a, a necessary position where you're stressed out, you know, and when the deal goes bad, even worse, investors too get stressed out, puts you in more stress as well. And yeah, you, you don't have no outcomes or you, you don't even have enough capital reserves to pay out certain investors because the thing with, with the refis and uh, paying out investors that invest in multifamily with you is um, if if you don't have the capital to pay them out when they want to, when they need to get out, because some some families, different things happen, right? Like death, disease, the four yeah. Ds could happen to one of your investors, and they need the capital back. And if you don't have that capital to to pay them back, that could put you in a position where you have to sell that investment at break even or even a loss. And what that means for you is you've wasted all your time working on this deal, right? Because you, you don't also want to keep that investor's relationship. You won't want to just burn them off, right? You would you would want to make sure they get their money back right now because they need it, right? And so that would push you to sell the property and making you leaving you with no no profit from the deal with all your time gone down the drain. So yeah, always having your business, your wholesaling or any business, not even just wholesaling, like you you need to have a business first. You need to have something bringing you income every day, every month that has nothing to do with real estate. Because what I realized later, real estate is an expensive, it's an expensive um, game. It's like a lot of things could go wrong, especially in Ontario right now where you can't take tenants. That's why I'm saying it's three to five years uh, in because it's a, we're, we're mainly working in Ontario. But uh, that's why we yeah. the, the 39 unit we bought in Saskatoon. The only reason why I went out there, like that was my first time going to Saskatoon, but the only reason why it made sense was because I seen that I could kick out, get the tenants out within a month. Faster. Way faster. Got so that, okay. I could actually do this deal within a year and whatever I promised my investors, I could actually deliver within that year. The only changes might just be the interest rate, right? Because they keep going up. Yeah. But regarding the timeline, we know we, we we definitely are finishing in a year. So, yeah, that's another thing. Okay. Maria. Okay. So there's a point that you mentioned, which is it's always good to have an active income source that is outside of real estate. Um, so wholesaling is obviously an active income source. Are there any other active income sources that you think that the skills that you build as a wholesaler could help 
to you know um, work with. So for any wholesalers that that are listening or anyone who has built like sales skills, yeah. are there any active income sources that you think? Um, yeah, it, it depends. Uh, if you're trying to keep it real estate related, then you could, there's so many other real estate um, positions you could you could change into. You become a mortgage broker. Uh, you could become a realtor, an appraiser. Uh, you could start a service-based construction company and and do rentals and um on investors' properties because you already have all these connections from wholesaling. Uh, you could also you could start a, a lawn care business and give it out to your investors or uh, cleaners. You could set up an Airbnb cleaning uh, business. There's so many businesses, but it all comes down to how like how much how much money you're looking to make from it and how much effort you're willing to put inside it as well. If you're starting afresh, right? It has to, you have to enjoy it because that's, I feel like that's, that's the main thing. If you're not enjoying it, you won't be able to do it for long. Like with wholesaling, like I enjoy every process of it. I enjoy talking to the sellers. I enjoy negotiating with buyers to get myself a higher buyer, a higher assignment fee. Like I enjoy every process, but I don't see myself starting a construction company going to um going to talk with uh uh homeowners to renovate their home and uh doing all that pricing contractors <laughs> i don't see myself doing that so that's that's why i just i'm sticking with wholesaling but so someone else that if you have different skills I mean, you could definitely get into something real estate related within those uh areas yeah okay perfect and for the wholesalers who still want to get into multifamily, you know, you, you mentioned that as long as your focus is not shifted and you partner with someone who is fully on board with multifamily, you know, then it could work. In that type of scenario, um, how, how would you recommend the structure to be? Like, given that multifamily also requires multiple roles, multiple responsibilities, from your wholesaler standpoint, the skills that you've built, um, how would you add value to an investor who is focused solely on multifamily, where they see you as a value add to the team, right? So the I I believe there's only two there's only two ways you could add value to a multifamily investor. That's one bringing a really great deal. The deal I feel like the deal is everything. The deal starts everything. The deal gives you uh, the authority, gets you in the door. They they want to talk yeah. to you because you're the one that has the deal. No one else. And you can't make the mistake of not having it on the contract. That's another mistake I made in the past. I brought a deal to a multifamily investor and I didn't have it on the contract. And this was like a $5 million deal. And before I knew it, I was sidetracked. I wasn't involved anymore, right? So you, you always want to have it on the contract. You bring the deal, then your second value, because bring the deal isn't worth, I wouldn't say it's worth that much, Um. But it is worth an assignment fee, right? We, we do base it off just bringing the deal is worth a certain amount of dollars. But that dollars doesn't con convert into a, a huge amount of equity if they want to turn that into equity, right? So where you could also provide value is you raise capital. That's that's what I that's what I do, right? That's where, where I focus on. I raise capital for an investor as well. And that's, that's a lot of value for any investor knowing that they don't have to use their own capital, that this guy... We just have to um, put together a package and a plan, and he's going to make sure we get all the money we need to close. And by you just bringing all the funds to the deal, 
that's that's a huge value for them and they're usually willing to so the money partners always almost always get 50 percent of the deal but it, it all depends that every deal is different but most deals it's usually 50 percent that's it um the the active partners are not bringing any money at all but it's usually 50 so if he's giving away 50 then you guys have 50 left then you bring in the money partners to actually put the money in the deal to make it work is already worth 25 percent i'd say in my opinion yeah. so if you could bring the full amount needed to close do all the renovations any investor any reasonable investor would give you up to 25 percent knowing that they don't have to do anything else apart from qualify and manage the building moving forward making it so easy for them because that's the confusing part for most multifamily investors is where do where do I get the capital, um, the risk as well. Like they don't like taking on the risk alone because it's it's a huge risk. Like especially in Ontario, the tenants won't move yeah. out for two years. That means you you can't increase the value for two years. Your money is stuck for two years, earning lower, right? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. I wanted to echo something you mentioned with respect to finding the deal and raising capital. So there is, there's a book that I read when I started, which was Money People Deal by Stefanio. And yeah. I, I always almost liken, you know, every conversation to that framework where um, he mentioned in the book, you can either bring the money to a deal, you could, either, you could either find the deal or you could either bring the people that execute the deal. Right. But if you are able to bring two out of three, then you are very valuable. So, if I try to tie that to what you said, um, a wholesaler has the skills of finding deals. So in, in addition to finding residential deals, if you are able to find a multifamily deal and not just find it, or you find it to a point where you are able to negotiate the deal, structure the deal in a way that makes sense, mm -hmm. and also lock down the deal on that contract, which is being able to put down $10,000, $25,000 as a deposit to lock it down, right. that is you finding the deal. And then the next step is, also raising the capital for the deal. So having a network of investors that put in half a million or a million. So now for you to do those two things, there's quite a number of skill sets that are required, right? So right. I just wanted you to just touch on, you know, like just your experience with going through those two processes, you know, what you learned and what types of skills are required to be able to get a multifamily property on that contract and actually lock it down and then also being able to raise capital for a multifamily building. All right. All right. So, so first to start with, you definitely need capital, right? Capital is like key number one because um, you're, you're going to have to put a huge deposit. Multifamily sellers, unlike residential, they're a lot more educated. They know they know the, the APS. They, they understand the contracts. They know what, what a deposit does, you know? And so... You have to come up with that deposit, and you also have to you have to have the confidence to go to a multifamily seller off market because they're quite educated and they could smell the bluff from afar. If you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> or or you don't you don't have um you don't you don't analyze the building properly, or you just you just don't don't speak the same language as they do, right? The multi like all the multifamily talks, and they could sense it from a what mile away, and they won't waste the time with you so if you have all those skills and you've worked on it and you're confident enough you have the capital to get it on the contract now then 
that's 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 when you could go in and get it on the contract. You do that part. Then then comes to the raising capital. Like raising capital was um it was what I learned that from Wealth Genius very well from Alfonso. It was I followed all his practices about raising capital. I feel he's 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 pretty much the best at raising capital uh in Canada or, or the the best mentor to to guide you in that path, right? Because he he talks about what people want want to see to invest in you. They have to see what you're doing every day, right? Posting every day, posting buildings, your walk, even if you're not buying it, just making a video just keeps you at the top of the mind of uh, other investors. Okay, this guy's looking at properties every day. This guy's every day, right? They Everyone on social media knows that you do this every day and they see you as that person, that go-to person for multifamily deals. So now when you post a, a picture saying you're looking to raise capital, it's a lot easier to for them to to reach out because they know you do this every day. They see you doing this every day. Not that you just came out of nowhere and you're asking for a million dollars, right? They they and also yeah. having a track record is actually a lot is important as well. So doing smaller deals before you go up to a bigger multifamily deal, like starting with a triplex or fourplex or duplex, you know, completing those, posting pictures on those, so investors could see your track record helps a lot as well uh, and, and the last thing i would add to that would be um networking networking with the investors you meet online like scheduling one-on-one zoom calls with almost everyone yeah. you meet so so you know who's actually interested and you have a list ready so so it's not when the deal comes you're scrambling and looking for investors you should be doing this every day already like just looking for um, investors, scheduling one-on-one calls, seeing who's ready to invest with you, how much capital they have, the timeline, what their goals are. You have to get all that information. So when, by the time a deal comes, you have a list of people you could just hit up, send emails, and they respond if they want to join in, and you schedule a call rather than you just hoping and praying someone would reach out to you. <laughs> yeah, no one no one would ever reach out to you to give you money. That's just the reality of it. Like uh, pe- people only work with people they're familiar with, right? So you must have hopped on a call yeah. with them, uh, built that rapport, that relationship, and before they're actually willing to give you money, yeah. Yeah, and this goes back to the point that you mentioned with respect to how you how you allocate your focus, right? Because a lot of the things you've mentioned about raising capital, as you rightly mentioned, you need to post consistently on social media, post your walkthroughs, um, jump on Zoom calls with investors, um, suss them out, qualify them, get to a point where you know what they're looking for, how much they have. And then once you have done all that, then you could raise capital. But that those, those things, are they very different from the activities that are required in a traditional wholesaling um, business, like when you look at a traditional residential wholesaling business, are those the same types of activities that you need to do every day where those two things are complementary or are the activities very different? Yeah, I I believe they're totally different. Um, And well, I, I actually I wouldn't say they're different because you you could also raise capital for residential properties, right? And it all involves the same thing. Yeah. You still have to talk to people every day. You still have to network, build reports. So honestly, it's actually a lot more similar when you think about it because it's 
it's all the same thing. No one is, whoever invests in your smaller deal might still be the same person investing in the bigger deal. So it's, it's really, a, you just have to put yourself out there for regardless of what, um, what type of property asset you're going after smaller ones or the bigger ones. You always, you still have to network, build report with investors so they could, because buying your first duplex, like if you're totally brand new, you have no money, right? You still need an investor to partner up with you to buy that first duplex as a wholesaler, except you've built enough capital from wholesaling to do it on your own. But, and also to reduce risk. That's that's why most people partner up. Like if we remove the capital part, let's say you have all the money, but you might be scared, right? Because you've never done it before. There are a lot of contractors out there ready to take your money and run away. So using partnering up with someone who's got experience is is actually quite crucial. And you'd only know if they have experience by scheduling, scheduling those one-on-one calls with uh, different people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I have a quick question. So we've spoken about the capital raising side. Now, on the acquisition side, um, do you see any differences between how you acquire residential properties through the traditional wholesaling method and how you acquire multifamily properties? Like, I've seen massive differences where with the smaller buildings, you could send out a flyer, you know, a seller calls you, you negotiate, you have it under contract today, you could close in one month. With multifamily, the process is a bit longer, right? Where you have to structure the deal, um, the financing takes way longer, right? So from your standpoint, in the acquisition process, you know, do you see differences between wholesaling small residential versus wholesaling large multifamily buildings? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of differences, Um so for residential, you're always um, like everyone sends flyers, right? That's pretty much the common way to get a residential wholesale deal. But luckily for me, I actually never got to send out flyers when I did most of my wholesale deals. Even now, I think I've only sent out one flyer campaign of 8,000 and it's brought me no deals, right? So I've never actually gotten a deal from flyers before. So it's never worked for me, which is, is a, it's a good and bad thing because it makes me always think outside the box, right? It's never worked for me. It made me find so many different other ways of getting um, um, real estate deals, right? So that made me look for other softwares in Canada that I could access that type of information that I needed to get to a homeowner, like going to your city to get the mailing list uh, of these homeowners or um, MPAC, buying mail, uh, mailing lists from MPAC, um, using realtors. Like, so as if you have a realtor, you can actually have the realtor become your assistant. Actually, no, you become the realtor's assistant, right? And what doing that gives you access to the matrix. And the matrix is what the realtors use to to pretty much list the property, view expired listings, this, um uh, still, still listings, everything, and Geo Warehouse. Geo Warehouse is a uh, is a website that has information of all um, the sellers when they purchase the property, yeah. the price, and all that stuff. So, uh, so yeah, using because I didn't use flyers, I didn't go the traditional way. It already gave me access to all these um, other methods because I I was thinking outside the box. I had to find different ways to get it right. So I got a realtor. 
and I got him to make me an assistant, giving me access to all these tools. And from using those tools, right, it made me, I found multiple deals and I, I still also kept looking for other ways. I would go on Facebook marketplace, uh, looking for um, homeowners, looking to sell their property privately, or I would search, I'd actually search uh, apartment apartment rooms for rent or apartments for rent, two beds, one bed. Doing that on Facebook and Kijiji actually got me a, a lot of deals, surprisingly. It got me a few multifamily deals, a few single-family deals, because you're messaging people who have vacant properties right now that are not thinking of selling, but you prompting that question, would they, they could be open to selling, right? So I'll do that consistently until I found a deal. Um, I would also go door knocking as well. Door knocking is like, I feel like that's my number one because it's the hardest. No one does it. Even till today, I still make sure I go door knocking every Sunday. It's a lot harder than it used to be right now because obviously the hunger is less, but I yeah. still keep it. <laughs> I go out to do it because it, it's it's required. It's what brings, it's what sets you apart from everyone else doing the same thing. So I was just did something different than what everyone did. I was always going out looking for deals. So so that's the that's the biggest difference with uh, residential and um, multifamily. Most people don't go out to look for deals in the residential side of things. They just send out flyers. They put up um, marketing ads, Facebook, SEO, and they just wait for leads to come in. But on the multifamily side, that's never going to work, like ever. There's no flyers you're going to send out publicly, randomly, and it would never get to the owner of the building. It's just going to get to tenants, right? So you always have to find a creative way. So going on Facebook, that's where the owners would post their apartments for rent, their two beds, one bed. You reach them from there, or you could find, um, you could use Geo Warehouse. You see a property that um, you, you want to reach out to the seller, like a 20-unit apartment building in your street. And you go on Geo Warehouse, you look, you see the owner's name, you could type it up, find them on LinkedIn, you can find them on different websites. If you're lucky enough, you find a phone number and you contact them that way, right? Or you could go to the city, yeah. taking that same property's address and ask for the mailing, the mailing address of the owner of the owner of the property. And it's always a corporation, so it's different for every city. Some cities don't give you the mailing address if it's um, a, a primary residence, right? But if it's owned by a corporation, they they would give you the mailing address because it's a business, pretty much, right? So that's how I'd get the meal and address for multifamily owners and I'd send them letters and they'll get back to me and I'd get on the contract. So just by doing that made me realize, oh, I could do the same for residential as well. Find a beat up property. Um, it, like I said, it all depends on the city. Not every city allows you, uh, if it's in the personal name, not every city would give you that information, but some cities do. So if you, if you could get it from your city, you get the meal and address for residential property and you either go door knock the property directly. I've done that as well. Like when I, when I find the mail and address, I just go drive. If it's close by, I just drive down there and door knock rather than dropping a flyer and speak to the person one on one, and and start the conversation from there. There. Okay, so you dropped a lot of bombs <laughs> on this last question. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask is a lot of these alternative strategies. Um, they take time. From your experience, you know, you've done a flyer campaign where you mentioned that 
you didn't necessarily get any results from. Um, but a lot of people that do flag campaigns, and I do flag campaigns as well, you know, we would argue that it's, it sort of saves time because, you know, the only people that respond to you are the people who want to sell versus you having to do the filtering yourself by, you know, doing door knocking, going through all the neighborhoods and finding that one person. Um, so from your standpoint, in terms of like the value and the return on time, you know, the deals you've gotten via, um, you know, door knocking and this alternative strategy is going to Facebook Marketplace. Do you find that those strategies are scalable? And, you know, do you find that if you put in a certain number of hours, you are able to make them work? Uh, yeah, that's, so that's the downside to, because th- those are the strategies I put in when I started, right? I was doing a bit of everything. I don't, I, I totally agree with you. They're not scalable at all. You can't scale doing different things. You always have to find um, one certain way, right? So what, I, what I've done for my business is um, I, for the multi, because I solely focus on multifamily side, I found a way to get a whole list of multifamily owners, right? And I just strictly send out letters to them. Not flyers, letters with their names, okay. the property's address, the property I'm looking to buy. So my letters are a lot different. They ha- they would always open it because it's not a flyer. It's in an envelope with a it's a windowed envelope with the name on it, right? So seeing the name yep. on, on the letter would make them want to open the letter. And once they open it, they read and most likely would give a call just to figure out what the property's worth. Because I do have an option just to get get an appraisal you don't have to commit to anything right but with a flyer yeah. if i was sending flyers to multi-families it's 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 hit or miss right so i just that yeah. for me i just don't feel comfortable doing it does work it's always worked for people but in the market we are right now almost every wholesaler i've spoken to it's not working for them right so i that's why i just don't go into it yeah i haven't bothered with it but who knows in the future, I definitely would would give it a try. Yeah. But it just hasn't worked for me. Yeah, and, yeah go ahead. Yeah, to your points, there's quite a number of, of strategies that I know that people use now. Like it, some don't do flyers, you know, some do like Google ads, social right. media ads, like Facebook, Instagram ads. Um, like we've also seen that it's it's getting harder to make flyers work. Um, right. It's more expensive than the than the other strategies. But I guess, you know, when you do it consistently, then again, you weed out all the other people that are not looking to sell and you get a very strong list of people that are looking to sell. Um, so that's what I found, you know, with respect to flyers. To your point on, on the letters that you send, I think I also wanted to call out the fact that it also goes back to the point you were saying, right? Um, for wholesalers, when you send out flyers to residential neighborhoods, you know, Canada Post calls that neighborhood mail. So you send it out to the entire neighborhood. As you said, right. it's hit and miss because you are just sending it to the entire neighborhood. You don't know who you're sending it to. Whoever receives it that wants to sell calls you back. And that's only that only makes sense for residential because, again, you're sending it to the entire neighborhood. If you right. send that to a multifamily building, you are only getting the renters. You are not getting the owners. Okay. Versus the route that you are using, which I've also used as well, which is get the list of the multifamily owners, get their mailing addresses for the buildings, mm-hmm. and then the letter goes to their mailing address versus their actual building address. And right. then that way, it's called personalized mail. You know, right. where it, they have the names as you write, as you rightly pointed out. I wanted to find out your experience with that because I know that personalized mail strategy is more expensive than neighborhood mail. Right. So 
from your standpoint, do you think that's also scalable, building a business around sending out personalized mail, given the fact that on a unit cost standpoint, it's more expensive than neighborhood mail? And for multifamily acquisitions, as you know, it takes longer to actually get a multifamily property under contract. When you when you stack on the due diligence period as well, what you find is you've spent money on the acquisition, you know, paying more for the personalized mail. You spend money on the due diligence, and maybe you get one building under contract that you will take like one or two years to stabilize. You know, how do you see that entire business model, that entire process, and how do you think that is sustainable and how that can work? So why it's sustainable, like for, I'm speaking for myself, right? Because I'm focusing on multifamilies. I'm looking to also buy them as well with my investors. I'm just, I'm not only solely looking to wholesale. So it all depends on the deal I come across, right? Um, why I'm fine with spending a lot more is because I feel like I'm I'm getting actual results. Like, pe- like when I send like about a thousand um personalized letters out i get about 100 calls back right i feel like that's a re- re- good return for for my money and within within that that 100 calls i could get about five good deals that i want to close on so there's one to close on and there's deals where the seller is looking for the highest price and that's where my realtor comes in that's another source of income for me i pass it on to my realtors and my realtors would actually go list this property and we on the back end, I get some of that commission where they make, and the commissions on some of these buildings could be a hundred to two hundred thousand, right? So it still it still ends up working out in the end, even if I don't buy that property or I don't wholesale the property. And why I like it is wholesale um, the multi even though it takes a lot more time to close due diligence, all that stuff, you get paid a lot more higher typically than a regular residential deal. Like the minimum assignment yeah. fee I've seen on a uh, multifamily so far is like around 50000 right? Like, so when if you're doing multiple of those or if you're doing a higher number, if it's a $6 million deal, like a 33-unit or 40-unit building apartment, you're looking easily a minimum of one hundred and fifty or 100000 in your assignment fee. So I think for if expecting that is, is worth more than uh, ten to twenty thousand on the residential, and it's worth the wait because you're going to gain more at the end, and you also you just don't have one lead, you have multiple. And I also still need, like, since my main focus, like in the future, long term, is multifamily properties. Keeping my deal flow of multi-family uh, properties is is required for me, right? Because I'm still looking to buy. So if I come across a good one, it's it, I like it outweighs all the money I've spent because I'm going to end this prop, uh, own this property, and also stabilize the property and own it for years, and it's going to build wealth for me, right? So I look at it as as long long term goal, and rather than just assigning it or just looking for the the quick out, like there's a lot of things that that would play into factor in the future. So that's that's why I would still go with that over uh, a flyer campaign. Perfect, man. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, thank you very much for like all those bombs that you've dropped. I wanted to ask you, you know, just given all you shared about like your experience with residential wholesaling, your experience with multifamily, you know, the transition, the ups and downs, the pros and cons. Like, if you want to give one advice to people who are starting now, right? Um, 
taking them back to where you were in 2020, you know, what would that advice be? Uh, I'll just say take a lot more action. That's that's the only thing I didn't. I thought I was taking enough action, but I honestly wasn't. Just take a <laughs> lot more action, you know, like talk to a lot more people, get yourself out there, post a lot more. Um, just just take action, right? Like whatever you're scared. If you're scared of something, that just means you should do it, right? If something, if you're thinking about doing something and it gets you uncomfortable, that's just a, num- a signal that, yeah, you should go ahead and get this done right now because you're scared of it. So yeah, just taking more action, pick up the phone. Like it's always picking up the phone first and talking to someone. That's that's what matters. If you're not picking up the phone, calling a realtor, calling whoever, just building a relationship. That's 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 where it all starts from. Just you just have to take action, go out there. Even if you're scared, even if you don't know what to say or what to do, just go out and you'd figure it out. You would know you didn't say something right. You know you didn't do this right. And the next one, there's always the next opportunity to try again, right? And you just keep getting better. Cool, man. Thank you very, very much. Sure. Franklin, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Um, but as you know, we need to ask you a question before you leave, <laughs> which is <laughs> what's your greatest L in real estate is? Like you, you've shared a lot of your experience, good and bad. But when you think through your experience, what has been your greatest L and what would you say you've learned from it? Uh, my biggest L so far would be um, hiring a contractor, a, a cheap contractor, because I wanted to jump <laughs> out on a renovation and um, please my investors with being, bringing more returns, which ended up costing me more, costing my, my investors more of my time. Um, so, yeah, just that's cheapest uh, option is never the best option right so yeah contractors especially just watch out for that and that's something i didn't have experience with i was learning right so i i was doing my first uh, full gop on a on a property and i just didn't have the experience to handle and manage a contractor the right way and when it started he he did what he wanted and he lied to me right i wasn't used to having people lie like in real estate it's it's all integrity no one no one usually lies and then you meet contractors. They <laughs> <Well, laughs> lie about everything, right? So that was my biggest lesson, uh, just how to deal with contractors. I, I I learned a lot from that, knowing I had to like picking the cheapest option is never the best option. If if their quote is twenty thousand off from someone else and they're just looking to get the job from you, never hire them, right? the cheapest option would, would not save you. Like in our situation, it didn't save us in the end. We ended up spending more because uh, the contractor messed up the project and he left um, after spending almost six months. So we lost time. He left and we had to hire someone else. And whenever you're hiring a new contractor, they're seeing someone else's mess. They charge you more because they know they're picking up from someone else's um, leftovers and they, they know you're desperate at that point. So they charge you whatever. Yeah. yeah, that was my biggest lesson so far. Just hire, hire, oh. hire cheap. Yeah. Mic drop. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot for your time. Um, really appreciate all that you've shared with our listeners today. Uh, before you head out, um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, yeah. what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, it'll be my Instagram. Uh, my Instagram account is sir underscore Frank KL. Yeah, that's okay. the best way to reach out to me. Or Facebook, either. Uh, my name, Franklin Azuku. Yeah. 
Okay. So we'll put that in the show notes. So that's it, folks. Thank you very much, Franklin. And um, for everyone listening, thanks for listening to the Deals Estate Wholesaling Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And be sure to hit that subscribe and notification button so that you know when this episode drops and when the next episode drops. So until then, remember, a daily day keeps scarcity at bay.